Thanks, Steph. Well, uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, I've been uh, on holidays the last couple of weeks. We've had a great time with our kids and uh, a good time away as a family. But um, most of you are uh, not at this stage of life, but uh, at this stage of life with very little kids, you kind of come back from holidays ready to recover from holidays. So we're glad to be back, uh, particularly glad to be back uh, with our church family and to be meeting uh, with God's people today. But let me pray and uh, we'll get on to this brilliant psalm, which really is a great psalm. And uh, there's lots of details in it that, that you can't cover in one talk. So make sure uh, when you get home or during this week that you read it again. And I think as you read it, it will help you do what this psalm is calling us to do. And I think you can't help uh, but, but praise as you read this psalm. So do that during the week uh, if you can. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are a God worthy of much praise. And we pray this evening as we hear your word and hear of all the things that you have done, that we would rightly praise you in light of who you are. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, make sure you've got the psalm in front of you. Have it open in front of you. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. It says this, The psalmist starts with, Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of His name. Make his praise glorious. Uh, and in lots of ways, Psalm 66, as you read it, is not too difficult a psalm to understand. That The first two verses tell us exactly what this psalm is about. It's, it's a call to praise God. Uh, that's what this psalm is, a call to praise. But what does it actually mean to praise God? Uh, and what does it actually look like to praise God? And as we praise God, is it, is it to God that we praise God? Or is it to, to one another that we praise about God? Or is it to our world that we praise about God? And is it only as we sing that we praise? So this psalm, if you see at the very beginning, it's a, it's a song. Uh, so, he, so he's singing like we do in church on a Sunday. Is that synonymous with praise? And if it is, then is this psalm really just calling us to sing more, to, to sing together in church more? Is that praise? Or is praising just, you know, what those weird, slightly full-on Christians do? Uh, you know those people when uh, you go up to a Christian and you say, oh, it's a nice day, isn't it? And then they kind of burst out in glorious praise saying, oh, yes, praise God for how glorious this day is, for the goodness of God and for the sun and, and, and the trees and the birds that he's given us. Praise God. And you're thinking, well, you know, whoa, hold on. I was just commenting about the weather. So you see, is that praise? Is that what the Bible means by praise? You see, at one level, this psalm is very simple. It's a call to praise God. But at another level, God has much to teach us about praising him in this psalm. And so I have uh, two simple hopes for us tonight. Uh, the first hope is that this psalm will teach us to praise and what it looks like to praise. And that praise isn't simply something we do as we sing. Uh, we are praising as we sing, but it's, it's more than that. Uh, it's actually something that should characterize the whole Christian life. And my second hope is that this psalm will therefore challenge us to hear that call to praise. And that actually we can be a bit more like that, that kind of weird full-on Christian. Because they're being Christian. They're, they're letting their, their lives be characterized and their words be characterized by the praise of God. And, and that's what we should do as Christians. So that's my hope for us as we hear God speak. And the first thing to notice, just look again at the psalm. The first thing to notice from this psalm in verse 1 
is that the call of the psalm is for all the earth to shout joyfully to God. You see, the psalmist here isn't calling on just a few people to praise. He's not even calling simply on all of Israel, on all of God's people to praise and shout joyfully to God, but on all the earth. Which at first, when you think about it, appears quite arrogant. It kind of appears quite you know, presumptuous. You see, what, what right would the psalmist have to call upon the nations that surrounded Israel at that time? So you have Israel and you have the nations around them. And what right does the psalmist have for these nations who worship their own pagan gods to say to them, well, come worship our God. Come praise our God. Don't praise your God. Praise ours. See, it's arrogant. And yet the psalmist is so bold to say, have a look at verse 3. He's so bold to say, verse 3, Say to God, all the earth, how awe-inspiring are your works. Are your works, you, the God of Israel's works. And again, isn't that arrogant? Isn't that presumptuous? Isn't that intolerant, to kind of use the language of our day today, that they would say that's intolerant to, us, to insist on that. But if God, if the God of Israel is the God of all, then it's not arrogant. You see, it's the right thing for all the earth to do. It's actually the right thing for all humanity to do, to praise their Creator and His mighty works. And see, the psalmist here, he's actually being very reasonable. He's being very sensible because he knows, verse 3, how mighty God is. The psalmist knows that, that those who deny God and reject God and make themselves enemies of God, in verse 3, well, they will cringe before the power of God and they will cower before the great strength of the God of Israel. And verse 4, have a look at verse 4, the psalmist knows that eventually all the earth will worship God. All of humanity will praise God and His name. And so there's, there's nothing arrogant or presumptuous about God's word here. You see, God is worthy of all praise. He is because of who He is. That The right response to all of God's works is to be in awe. And what the psalmist is doing is he's simply calling on all the earth to do what is right, to do what is fitting, to do what they should do as creatures of the great Creator. And really, it's the picture we see with Jesus in Philippians 2, isn't it? Uh, let me remind you of Philippians 2. It's up on the screen. Uh, Paul writes this. He says, For this reason... God highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, what will happen? Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In other words, it's all-encompassing. Verse 11, And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, we mustn't forget this. When we call upon people to confess Jesus as Lord and to bow the knee to Him and praise Him, we're calling on them to do the right thing. We're calling on them to acknowledge a reality, a reality that, that one day all people will confess Jesus as Lord, whether, whether willingly, like most of us here who follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and already now we willingly bow the knee to Him as King, or they will bow the knee to Jesus as an act of submission. Why? Because He's Lord. Because He is King. Because He does reign. 
You see, whatever uh, you might think of Donald Trump or Boris Johnson or Scott Morrison and their various haircuts, because it seems on Facebook their haircuts always get compared, you may or may not like them, but the reality is those people are in charge. And so how much more for the creator of all things? He is in charge and who is thankfully nothing like any human leader, but is perfectly just and loving. So that's that's the first thing we need to notice from this psalm. It's a call for all the earth, for everyone, all humanity, all peoples, to rightly praise God, to shout joyfully to Him and, and confess how truly awesome He is in the true sense of that word awesome. But in the second stanza of the psalm, the psalmist doesn't just call on humanity to shout joyfully to God, to to the Lord, but he invites them. Verse 5, just have a look. Verse 5, he invites them to come and see the wonders of God. And this this is where we begin to see what praise is. You see, it's not just a singing thing. To praise God is to boast of his works. It's to to brag about his character. It's to to boast and brag and rant about who he is and how great he is. And we see who he is and how great he is in his works. And often in the Psalms, what the Psalms do is they point to God's work of creation to help us see how great and mighty God is. Uh, So rather famously, uh, Psalm 19, you might know it, it says this, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims the works of God's hands. And so the idea is as we look out at creation and see everything that is beautiful, the ocean, uh, the, the mountains, the, the birds, the, 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 the creatures that roam around, as we look and see all that God has done in creation, well, we boast about Him. We say, wow, how amazing that God made all this just by speaking, Genesis chapter 1. See, there, there's so much to praise God for and shout joyfully to God about in creation, both to Him and both to to boast about God to each other and to other people. But this psalm doesn't do that. You see, notice what the psalmist in Psalm 66 points to. See, he doesn't point to the work of creation, but he points to God's great act of redemption. So just have a look at verse 6. So uh, the psalmist says, Come and see the wonders of God. And then he says, verse 6, He, God, turned the sea into dry land, and they crossed the river on foot, that is Israel, and there we, Israel, rejoiced in Him, in God. And I hope that as you read that, you recognize that that's talking about that great redemption event from Egypt. It's talking about the Exodus and what God did in in rescuing His people from slavery in Egypt. And that's what Israel did as well as they crossed the the sea on dry ground. What did they they do in Exodus chapter 15 after he'd he'd rescued them and then they'd crossed the sea? Well, they rejoiced. They sang. They they praised God to God. They praised God to one another for what he had done for them in Egypt and all the wonders that God had done in Egypt. And and this is nothing new in the Old Testament. If you know your Old Testament well, the, the, the prophets and the Psalms often call upon the people of God to look back to that Exodus event, to see this is God's might, to see this is God's love for us in rescuing His people. But but here's a really important bit. You see, the psalmist is not simply talking to the people of God. He's not actually addressing just Israel. He's addressing all the earth, which is bold. You see, see if you can follow the the logic of of the psalm. Have a look at verse 5 again. 
You see, when the psalmist calls all the earth to come and see the wonders of God, for God's acts for humanity are awe-inspiring, the act for humanity that the psalmist wants all the earth to see is what God did for Israel in the Exodus, in Egypt. Which is strange because why should all of the earth and all of humanity be in awe of what God did in Israel? Uh, for, for Israel. See, what, what did the Egyptians get out of what God did in Egypt? The Egyptians were plundered. The Egyptians as a nation were almost destroyed by all the plagues that God brought on that nation. And yet the psalmist here is calling on all humanity, including Egypt themselves, to praise God for what he did for Israel in Egypt. See, why? Well, part of the answer comes in verse 7. Have a look at verse 7. The psalmist says, he, God, rules forever by his might. He keeps his eye on the nations. The rebellious should not exalt themselves. And so what the psalmist is doing is he's pointing to the Exodus event and all the wonders God had done in Egypt to show that God is mighty. For, for what God did in, in Egypt to stand as a witness to who God is. And the right response to the wonders that God had done in Egypt well, it's to praise Him. See, nothing in all of history has happened like that before. They are the right thing for all of humanity to do for what God had done in Egypt was to honor Him, to worship Him as the one who rules forever by His might. And if you, you remember the Exodus story, uh, what is it that God says to the Egyptians, about the Egyptians over and over again before He does all His wonders in Egypt? In Egypt? God says that it is by his great acts that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. See, all that God does in Egypt, it's not just for Israel, it's for the Egyptians to see his might. It's for the nations to know that he is the Lord, that he reigns, that he's supreme. And so verse 7 in this psalm, it's a warning. You see, it's a warning that God keeps his eyes on the nations. So don't rebel, humanity. And don't exalt yourself before God or the earth. For remember what God did in Egypt. They were judged for their rebellion and for their hard hearts. Don't be like them. But it's more than that, isn't it? Because the redemption from slavery in Egypt, that points to that greater redemption event we see in Jesus from sin. And what Jesus does on the cross. And if you remember back to John's Gospel uh, last year, you have to remember, I think, term one or term two last year when you started John's Gospel. You see, what did John the Baptist say when Jesus first turned up on the scene in John's Gospel? John the Baptist said of Jesus, Here is the Lamb of God, the, the, the Passover Lamb of the Exodus, who's come once for all to take away sin, to take away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus and the cross, that is the great redemption event. And so for us, this side of the cross and the time we stand in now, what we do is we call on all of humanity to come and see the wonders of God in Jesus. That God's acts for humanity in Jesus are awe-inspiring. That the gospel of salvation that we preach and believe when God himself came down in the person of Jesus to die for your sin, to die for my sin, so that we could be forgiven of that sin, that's awe-inspiring. That's incredible. 
You see, all you can say in light of all that God has done in Jesus and all that you should do and what is right for everybody to do, for all of humanity to do, is to praise God. It's to praise God that He didn't leave us to perish even though we deserve to die in sins. Yet He came down in Jesus to forgive us of sins. You see, how awe-inspiring are your works, God? And brothers and sisters... We need to be more bold like the psalmist in this psalm. It's not arrogant or presumptuous to call on humanity to praise our God. It is right. It is fitting. He is an awesome God and worthy of all praise. And it's actually a part of our praise of God to to declare Christ and boast of His works to other people. That brings praise to God. It praises Him. And I'm constantly uh, rebuked when I act a little bit more like the psalmist in this psalm, when I'm a little bit more bold to to ask those around me to to come and see the wonders of God in Jesus. Uh, People who know nothing of what God has done in Jesus, His Son. Because so often as you do that, people are interested. When you do that, they're in awe of what God has done because it's incredible. Uh, Recently, I've been uh, meeting with an elderly man to read the Bible with him. He's 92, so he's quite elderly. And, uh, and I've been trying to share Jesus with him. And I've known this man for 20 years. I've known him for a while. Uh, he's known uh, for a long time that I'm a Christian. I've tried to talk to him about God before. But, but finally, I, I've been more bold. And I've invited him to come and see Jesus and all that God has done in him. And as I've done that, he's been interested. He, he, he's been in awe of the things he's been learning from the Bible. You see, we can't doubt the power of God's word and the power of God's might. And now I pray that this man would confess Christ. So let us praise God by being bold like the psalmist, but even more so because the psalmist didn't know what we know. He didn't know all that God had done in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And can I say, if Jesus is not yet your Lord and Savior, if you sit here tonight and you don't confess Jesus as your King and your Lord... Then after this service, turn to the person next to you who who brought you along, or if you came here off your own bat, turn to whoever is around you, or come talk to me, or come talk to Natani, or to Troy, or to Phil, and ask us, can you show me the wonders of God in Jesus? You see, ask us to show you all that God has done in His Son. And if you listen as we share the gospel with you, you'll be filled with awe. Filled with awe for all that God has done to save us, to His praise and His glory. But the next stanza in the psalm gives us a different reason as to why, verse 8, you you peoples, that is all the earth, should praise God. And that is because God keeps us. He keeps His people. So just have a look at verse 9. Verse 9, all the peoples of the earth should praise God because, verse 9, He keeps us alive. That is, he keeps Israel alive and does not allow our feet to slip. Uh, Which again, what the psalmist is doing here, he's calling on all the earth to come and see what God has done in Israel and then praise him. But look at how God keeps Israel alive in this psalm and stops them from slipping. Just have a look at verse 10. It might not be what you expect. See, verse 10, how does God keep his people alive and keep them from slipping? Well, for you, God, tested us 
and you refined us, that is Israel, as silver is refined. You lured us into a trap. You, you placed burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. And as you read that part of the psalm, it's, it's not very awe-inspiring anymore. Uh, I can understand why the, the psalmist points to kind of the Exodus event and all the plagues that God had did to, to uh, cause us to, to praise God and, and points us to creation to praise God. But verse 10 and following, they're not very awe-inspiring. It's not much of a sell point as to why you would want to follow this God. Uh, just imagine a job description. Uh, lots, lots, of, uh, lots of you guys will be looking for jobs soon enough in the few years to come. But imagine a job description that says, you know, come and join our team. Uh, we'll test you and we'll put you through the ringer and we'll lure you into a trap and we'll place heavy burdens on your back and we'll let all our customers walk over your head. It's not the most inspiring proposition to go work for that team, is it? But the end of verse 12 is the key. So look what the psalmist says at the end of verse 12. He says, But you, God, brought us out to abundance. And that's the constant story of God's Old Testament people. They, they do get tested, and burdens get placed upon them over and over again. Sometimes it's a result of their own sin, and sometimes it's faithful Israelites who suffer for the wickedness of others. But all the time... It is the work of God for the sake of his people, for the sake of their refining and the strength of their faith and their trust in God. You see, testing and suffering might seem an odd example to use in calling people to praise God, but actually it's a great comfort because only the people of God can have such hope in suffering. Only we can do that. Only we can praise God ultimately, even through suffering, because we know that God is at work. And that's the promise of Romans 8, isn't it? It's up on the screen. Paul writes this, he says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. And if you look again at the psalm, you can see how in the psalm it's God who is at work. Just look again from verse 10. Do you see how the word you keeps coming up? It's you, God, tested, you refined, you lured, you let. And at the end there, it's you, God, who brought us out to abundance. See, nothing is outside the control of God. He's in control. Uh, there was a, a recent article on the Australian Church rec Record uh, website. If you haven't heard of the ACR before, make sure you Google it. There's always good stuff on the Australian Church Record uh, but there was, there was a recent article, a really moving article, that was written by a Christian father on the first anniversary of his stillborn son. Uh, and in the article, he, he shares, quite honestly, of all that he and his wife had been uh, taught about by God through their experience, uh, through their suffering. Uh, here's a line from the article, it's up on the screen. Uh, to wonder, uh, the, uh, the author, the father, he writes this. He writes, as we grieve the unfulfilled dreams with our son, we will forever remember the profound lessons that God in his sovereignty has taught us from the valley of pain. We like to think of Endul, their, their, what they named their son, as our teacher, yet he never stepped foot in any school and most of these lessons came through reflecting on the words of the psalmist in Psalm 139, which we read and played all over again during our dark moments in the valley of of grief. 
You see, only the people of God can praise God even through suffering, even through that kind of suffering. See, only God's people can know that ultimately God is in control and He will lead us into abundance, whether in this life or the next, whatever our circumstances. Uh, Emily and I actually just ordered uh, this book that's up on the screen uh, to read with our kids. And again, I I think it'll be quite a moving uh, book. Uh, It's a Christian father writing about his stillborn daughter. And the story is, is his father explaining to his son, to his firstborn son, what had happened with his sister and how she'd died. Uh, but the author says it's really a book about God. And he gives this line. He says that God is always good, even when we can't see it, just like the moon is always round, even when we can't see all of it. Uh, it's quite a powerful image. And I, and I know these are, these are emotionally heavy examples to use, but that was Israel's experience. They suffered greatly when you read the Old Testament. And again, sometimes it was because of their own sin, sometimes because of the wickedness of others, but suffering is emotional and it is heavy. Uh, a few people this morning, uh, after I preached this morning, said to me that it's never a question really of of if you will suffer, it's a question of when. If you live long enough, we will suffer. And yet, we have this great promise that God keeps His people. That no affliction or anguish or persecution or, or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, says Roman 8, at Romans chapter 8, or, or anything can actually separate us from the love of Christ. And no one can say that outside of Christ. No one has that hope outside of Christ. And so praise God that he keeps us. Praise God that even in suffering, God is working to bring us out to abundance. But in the final part of the psalm, the psalmist takes a different approach. And he now changes into the first person. So just have a look from verse 13 to the end of the psalm. And just notice from verse 13 onwards, the I, I, I's and the me's and the my's. Because what the psalmist does now is he gives a personal testimony. And the first part of the psalmist's personal, uh, personal testimony is his worship. And this is the right individual response to all that God has done. This should be our right individual response to what God has done for us in Christ. It's to worship God. It's to offer right sacrifice to him. So just have a look at the sacrifice that the psalmist offers there in verse 13. Look what he says. Verse 13, he says, I will enter your house, that is your temple, with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows that my lips promised and my mouth spoke during my distress. I will offer you fattened sheep as burnt offerings with the fragrant smoke of rams. I will sacrifice oxen with goats. And uh, we don't know exactly who the psalmist is here, and so we don't know what vows the psalmist had made, and we don't know what distress that God had actually rescued the psalmist from. But regardless, the verses here, they're an expression of worship to God for his deliverance. And verse 15, it shows the abundance of the psalmist's thanksgiving to God. Just have a look again at verse 15. You see, it's offering over offering. It's not just any old sheep. It's not the the skinny sheep that was in the back corner of the backyard. No, it's the fattened sheep that he offers. 
And it's a fattened sheep with the fragrant smoke of rams, whatever that would smell like. It's kind of like standing outside a kebab shop or something, I guess. Uh, and it's not, only, it's not only a sacrifice of oxen, but it's oxen with goats. And all the sacrifices there, if you have a look again at, at verses uh, 13 and, uh, and verse 15, they're in the plural. So it's not one ram and one oxen and one sheep. No, they're, they're multiple. And I know that sounds uh, really weird for our modern ears. We don't sacrifice like that anymore. But in the Old Testament law, these were offerings of thanksgiving. And they were, they were free will offerings to God. And so the psalmist here is profoundly thankful to God. And in his worship of God, in being thankful to him, that brings praise to God. And how much more us? You see, us who know the wonders of God in Jesus. And, uh, you know, for us, we don't offer sacrifice of sheep and rams and oxen and goats. Uh, if you do do that in the privacy of your own home, please come talk to me afterwards. We'll have a quiet word. You see, but our act of worship is in thankfulness to God with our lives. And, and we don't come to the temple, to the house of God, like the, like the psalmist did, to worship God. No, all of our life is worship. Uh, it's what we see in Romans 12. It's up on the screen. God says this, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. And when we live that all-of-life worship and give ourselves as living sacrifices to God, well, that brings praise to God. And when people see us living for God and living for His kingdom... And not living for, the, for, for whatever kingdom, you know, Google ads or Facebook ads are trying to get you to live this week. See, people notice. They notice we're different. They might not always understand, but they see by our sacrifice that we live for God and we love God and we honor God. And that brings praise to God. It honors Him before other people. But the last stanza of the psalm is an invitation for the Israelite. So just have a look as we finish verse 16. See, verse 16, it's no longer all the earth or you peoples, you, you non-Israelites, who are to come and to hear the, the, the calling of the psalmist. No, verse 16, it's come and listen, all who fear God. Uh, that is, come and listen, my fellow Israelites, is what the psalmist is saying, and I will tell you what God has done for me. And we don't have uh, time to look at the detail of the last stanza, but the psalmist wants his fellow believers to see all that God has done for him. And in light of telling them what God has done for him, he then wants them to praise God for it. Because that's the right response. Verse 20, it's, it's praise God for his faithful love that he has shown me. Because you see the character of God in how he's worked in my life is what the psalmist is saying. And so in that sense, the psalm as a whole, it's not just a call to praise by the psalmist, but it's a call to do what the psalmist himself does, to boast and to brag in a good way of what God has done, to proclaim and declare and testify to what God has done to other people. And this is such a great privilege of our fellowship in Christ here at our church. You see... We are to boast of God to one another. We are to testify of God's work in our lives to one another. We are to declare what God has done 
and he's doing in our lives to each other. You see, it's not just a, a preacher standing up the front here thing. It's not just the, the preacher who declares God's word to the people of God. No, the people of God, they all declare God's word to each other. We're all involved in the ministry of the word. We are to speak the word of God to each other, to declare the praises of God to one another. And I think at Snack, we are good at doing that in lots of ways. You see, we do speak about God to one another. And, and we do share how God has answered our prayers. And, and we do testify to each other of what God has done. And so my encouragement is, well, let's keep doing it. Let's do it more and more. Because part of what it means for us to be a Christian community and a fellowship in Christ is that we proclaim and declare the works of God to each other. And as we do that, it helps us to keep living as a Christian. It helps us to persevere in the Christian life until we stand there on the last day praising God for all eternity. And so I hope you can see that praising God is so much more than simply singing together on a Sunday. Uh, that is praising God, but it's more than that. And it's so much more than simply saying every now and then, you know, praise God, which we should do. It's a good thing to do, but it's, it's more than that. See, praise, it's an all-of-life thing. It's to boast to everyone, to believer and unbeliever alike, about all that God has done in Christ Jesus. It's to, to praise, is to brag about the faithfulness of God in that great redemption event of the cross. It's to thank God and worship God with our lives, and it's to testify to the work of God in our own lives, that He saved you that he saved me, and, and encouraging each other with the fact that God has saved us, and that he keeps us, even through suffering. You see, what this psalm is, is calling us, what this psalm is calling us to do, is to lift our eyes above and beyond what we see in front of us, and come and see the wonders of God in the Lord Jesus. And as we gaze our eyes upon the wonders of God, and all that he has done in Jesus, well, we can't help but be in awe of his works and praise him. Praise God to God, praise God to all the earth, and praise God to one another. Well, let me pray. Well, our great and mighty Heavenly Father, how awe-inspiring are your works. We thank you that all, for all that you have done in creation, but most of all, for all that you have done in the Lord Jesus. And we pray, Father, that we would spur one another on as we praise you, as we praise about you to each other, and as we praise about you and the works that you have done in Christ to the world around us. And we ask for your Spirit's help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.